Alrighty, back home, back on my desk, back having trouble finding where my mouse is because there's too much screen. And yes, I do use the, it's not the fancy zones, it's the, uh, the power tools, multiple control click or something like that. Yes, there it is. All right, found it. <laughs> Organized again. I just put a bunch of random stuff in this week's video because if I'm honest, I really only planned this during the midst of the webinar I just did with Scott, which we'll talk about in a moment. G'day, Wayne. Thank you for joining. But uh, I, was, I was just sort of flicking back through my Twitters going, what have I been talking about the last week? It's been a bit of a funny week because obviously there's been travel and things. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then coming back into <laughs> renovation hell and then fixing the things in here. And I, I just went and dropped a bunch of stuff, <laughs> dropped a bunch of random stuff. But uh, do let me start. Oh, Scott's here again. It's this guy again. <laughs> we'll talk about more webinar stuff in just a moment. Do let me start with sponsors because I have a brand new sponsor this week. Uh, and there's, there's actually been a bit of engagement around the sponsor, which is great. I want to talk about them. Sponsor this week is Aura. Now, Aura does a whole bunch of cyber things, including some really cool identity theft stuff. Uh, let's start with the formal bits, the sponsored message. Americans. We'll come back to Americans in a moment. Americans lost $8.8 billion to identity theft in 2022. Secure your online info with Aura, the number one rated identity theft protection. Start free trial. As I've said many times, uh, free trials are great. Give people something. Let them have a go. See what the product is. Uh, please go and click through to Aura uh, and have a look at that. There is a Troy Hunt specific URL there. Smart, simple way to stay safe online, all in one digital safety for the whole family. Protect from identity theft, fraud, and online threats. I do think that there's a good role for identity theft products to play, uh, as much as we need to have password managers and VPNs and all the other things that make sense in the right context. We will all be subject at some point in time to some form of identity theft. I've certainly had many cards stolen before, which has been painful. Always hard to figure out where a card comes from, unless it's British Airways. We'll talk more about Scott in just a moment. Uh, it is US specific. Now, I did have a fellow Aussie raise this uh, in response to me tweeting out the new sponsor yesterday. This is a sponsor I spent some time with. We have had multiple discussions. I have lamented that we down here in Australia, as well as folks in other parts of the world at the moment, uh, don't always get access to all the good stuff. They're taking that on board. Uh, but look, my audience is predominantly US. That does seem to be where the bulk is. Uh, so for most of you listening to this, that's going to be fine. They'll support you. For those of you from other parts of the world, reply to the tweet and say, I would like to see Aura in Australia or somewhere else. Because the other options here are not particularly great. And I think you know the ones I mean if you're in this part of the world. So big thanks to Aura. You're going to see a bit more of them over the remainder of the year as well. Uh, brand new sponsor. Go and check them out. On to the other things. Roland. So we're going to Dynamic Joe. G'day, George. Era Zorks. Webinar demos are another leading cause of leaking credit card info. How are they leading cause of leaking credit card info? Scott, how many credit cards did you collect for that webinar? I'm, I'm very curious to know. Now, as I said, I dropped in a whole bunch of random stuff here. Uh, oh, no, you leaked York. <laughs> so for those of you that missed it, Taylor, let, let's do this a little bit different to the order I had in here uh, because the Report URI webinar seems to keep coming up. 
So let's talk about this. Uh, Scott and I did a, a webinar for Report URI uh, about an hour and a half ago. We kicked this off. Uh, 6 a.m. my time, nice and bright and early. Coffee number three here now. And um, it was largely centered around the British Airways uh, attack of uh, 2018, wasn't it? Magecart uh, skimming attack where Magecart managed to compromise one of the assets, uh, a British Airways asset from one site, which then they loaded into their main site. And uh, they managed to skim some credit card stuff. So Scott was doing some great demos on the Report URI demo website about what it looks like to, to have a Magecart style skimmer where you just enter things into a, a form field and then they get skimmed off and sent async to a, a malicious domain as you enter the data. And of course, when he clicked in the credit card field, one password popped up to autocomplete with partial credit card data there. Uh, Scott, I kind of laughed. Mike's back here again as well. One of the mics. There are many mics. I kind of laughed actually when you were like, I think he sort of said it jokingly about the last four digits of the credit card. The, the the canonical example in my mind that always comes up around what can you do with the last four digits of the credit card, and I'm going to drop this in the chat here, is there is a story called uh, Matt Honan uh, Epic Hacking. And this was a journo. Here you go. How Apple and Amazon security flaw led to my epic hacking. August 6, 2012. Now, a lot of stuff is obviously changed uh, in the last 11 years but uh, this this wide journo got his digital life like completely owned in part because someone had the last four digits of a credit card which they used as part of an identity verification process I'm sure that's not going to happen to Scott because everyone watching the video is nice uh, the video was recorded as well. That will be available later on. Uh, there were a bunch of people there. I, I, I think, Scott, we were just chatting on, a, on our back channel afterwards. Uh, we, we had a, a constant uh, a constant count of people there, very, very little uh, attritional drop-off, which was great. I thought it was really interesting. It's about 45 minutes of, of Scott and myself talking about construction of web pages, uh, how how we we have a lot of external dependencies, whether they're our own assets in different places or CDNs or services. We're sort of pointing out that have I been pwned? It has dependencies on Stripe, uh, has dependencies on Cloudflare. My blog has dependencies on Discuss. We trust them to do the right thing, but we have content security policies, which will allow us to actually see uh, when a lot of bad stuff happens. Definitely would have picked up a lot of the Magecart stuff. Now, um, I also put in my in my little run sheet here, HTML for Dummies. And the reason I put it on there is because I literally have the book, HTML for Dummies. And when I was reading through Scott's run sheet yesterday for Report URI, and he said, you know, Troy to talk about the composition of web pages. And I was like, I know just the book that I need. <laughs> so I have very, very few books remaining because we look everything else up online these days. In fact, uh, I think it must have been Christmas before last. I gave away pretty much all my books to, uh, to, to folks online as part of my pwnedmas celebrations. But this one I kept. And the reason I kept this is because I bought this book in 1995. It was my first year of university. I wanted to learn web development. And that was the first time I'd seen the internet. It, it must have been January, February, 1995. And I went to university and a mate of mine was there and he was like, hey, check this out. And I still remember the first website he showed me, and I won't repeat it here. I think it's probably still up there. It wasn't very nice. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. I'll tell you later on, Scott, what it was if you want. And uh, and I was like, all right, I want to learn how to build websites. 
I will do a course at university about how to do websites. Now, that was naive because there were no courses. And I just remember the closest I got was like doing the COBOL course. So I could do COBOL, but I couldn't do HTML. So I literally bought the HTML for Dummies book. And that is where I learned to build web pages. And what I think is quite funny about it, and the reason I brought it out for the webinar, is that when you flick through this, for the large part, this is still really, really relevant nearly three decades on. I like this. Going high-rise, building complex pages. What was a complex page in the early to mid-90s? Uh, making lists. Uh, linking to text in another page. <laughs> the, 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 the biggest thing that I find flicking through this that doesn't seem to be that hasn't stood the test of time is every tag is in uppercase <laughs> so, but then it's like the nesting instinct lists within list now this is also about halfway through the book too so this is where that stood in the hierarchy of complexity uh i made a a, a bit of a joke which is i think is as accurate during the webinar, which is the, sort of the only stuff in here that hasn't really stood the test of time other than perhaps the uppercase, is the blink and marquee tags. Uh, fortunately, we don't have any annoying stuff in web pages anymore. But that has definitely gone. The common gateway interface, CGI. Gee, you don't hear people say CGI very much anymore, do you? Um, where do, what's the most advanced thing in here? What's the furthest thing through? Uh, it's a lot of generic stuff in here. This is not very, <laughs> not very code heavy. The top 10 HTML do's and don'ts. Remember your content, navigating your wild and woolly web. Oh, geez, it was a simpler time. So it is fascinating though <clears throat> to, uh, to see just how much of what is in there is what is in here on today's web pages. Uh, HTML is, <laughs> it's got long legs, let's be honest. Look at the comments here. <laughs> Roland says, the redesign I have a been phone coming soon, I guess. Uh, uh, um, cheeky grin face. I would actually love to do a redesign of have I been phone. Um, it's on my to-do list because it's nearly a decade old. 4th of December this year is going to be the 10-year anniversary of have I been phone. I should do something special. I'd love to give it a refresh. Uh, Armin's here. I think, Armin, you were over on the other talk as well from memory. Oh. Hmm. Scott says, if you're good at COBOL, you get a great job in the banking sector right now. <clears throat> Possibly. <laughs> Scott wants a marquee back. Oh, a lot of a lot of COBOL love here. Gordon says, IE didn't stand the test of time to your point of less annoying things in the web. Mind you, I don't think IE really featured back here either. It was largely Netscape <laughs> back then. Now, this was even before CSS as well. We weren't doing style sheets in 1995. Life was so easy then, comparatively. Um, getting back on track. Uh, I am obviously home again. We're back from Thailand. Uh, came back Tuesday morning. So the last time I came to you, I was in... Uh, where was I? I was in Phuket. I can't remember. Man, because we stayed in four different places. We're in Bangkok, we're in Krabi, we're at Yanoi. Yeah, I think that's where I was, Yanoi. Uh, then we're in Phuket for night. 
flew back through Singapore, had about an eight or nine hour layover in Singapore, which is perfect because it's long enough to go out, rent some bikes, ride up and down the East Coast Parkway, have some chili crab, get back on the plane, fly back overnight, got back here Tuesday morning. Uh, only about seven and a half hours from Singapore back home to Brisbane, which, which in a way is good, but when you're flying overnight, it's also in a way it's bad because you're never going to have a great sleep. So he came back rather tired uh, and came back uh, very definitely on a health kick. This year has been not great for our health, largely because of all the works that have been going on in the house, which I'm going to talk about soon as well. Now, why are works going on in the house not great for your health? A few different things. Number one, we've had such a constant flow of tradies all year that our regular routine of, of getting up and having a 4K walk before breakfast has just completely gone out the window because it's like, well, we can't go because we're waiting for the tradies. Uh, uh, that's okay. The tradies are meant to be here at 6.30. So at 6.35, we'll go for a walk. And that will give us time to have a walk before my 8 o'clock meeting, for argument's sake. But they're tradies. <laughs> and tradies really, really <clears throat> do anything on time. I'm not sure how it is in your part of the world. Very, very hard to get tradies to actually turn up on time. And I, without sounding too derogatory about it, we have often, should I say it this way? Yeah, screw it. We've often come back to the point where like, this is why you're a plasterer, you know, or, or something else that's just really, really simple because just being able to even turn up on time seems to be a challenge. Uh, and I'm sure you've all seen the thing before as well, whether it's tradies or we've had a lot of stuff delivered, whether like, all right, what time are you coming in the morning? Uh, okay, uh, when? Uh, anywhere between 7 a.m. and midday. Um, can, can, you, can you be more? Imagine if I was doing this webinar or the, this live stream, or the webinar's got an idea. So when's it going to be on? Oh, sometime between 7 and midday. It's like, no, you can't do that. You've got to do it at a time and you've got to stick to the commitment because if you don't stick to the commitment, people think you're inefficient or unorganized or disorganized, whatever it may be. But tradies, no. So it's completely cut into all of that routine. The number of times that Charlotte goes to a lot of Pilates and yoga and F45 and things, we both do a lot of tennis, I go for bike rides, all this sort of stuff where I've had things planned and then it's like, no, tradies. So the exercise regime has been terrible. And you know, because the watch and the phone keep reminding you, and we've literally been getting these alerts, which is like your resting heart rate has been 10 BPM higher <laughs> this year than what it normally is. So it is interesting to actually have the empirical data, not just the scales, which also haven't been particularly friendly, but the, uh, you know, things like the heart rate data, the number of steps you've been doing, the kilojoules you've burned, all the rest of it. So there's been that bit. And then the other bit has been with the kitchen works, having like ripped out the kitchen, we went for many, many, many weeks. In fact, even to this day, I still can't boil a pot of water anywhere because we don't have a stove there because we're waiting for the, the uh, stone to be cut to go on the bench top before the new stove can go in. It means we haven't been doing a lot of cooking. <laughs> a lot of the normal, nice, healthy stuff <clears throat> that would be our, our sort of run-of-the-mill daily fare. So it has not been a good year for that. Uh, it has not been much fun at all, if I'm completely honest. I have been losing my proverbial shit on multiple occasions. Speaking of which, while we're talking about tradies, <clears throat> most people listening to this would have been involved in IT projects in the past. And we all would have been involved in like good ones and bad ones and ones that ran over, pretty much all of them, <laughs> on time and budget and everything else. But for the most part, 
you have some form of formal documentation, even if it's just like emails talking about requirements and it should be done this way and that way. And inevitably there is a customer, whether it's someone in your internal business or maybe working for a, for some sort of a software dev shop and you've got external customers and stuff gets written in email and it's clear what, and maybe there's some interpretation around it, but for the most part, it's clear what you want delivered. <clears throat> and if you don't deliver on that, <coughs> excuse me, assuming that you're working with some sort of fixed cost, then there's recourse. It's very different with tradies. <laughs> the difficulty uh, that we have had particularly around rectification. <clears throat> and I think for now, I won't get into too much detail. For now, but later on, I'm very inclined to. Not later on today. Where something clearly isn't right. <clears throat> and in, when, in, in many cases, when I say right, in, in some cases, it's like something is not a right angle when it should be a right angle. And instead, it's like a wavy thing like this. And you're like, this isn't right. You need to fix it. Uh, and I'll, I'll just give one example of this. There's, a, I think I put a photo of it on the tweet thread for the garage. But there's part of the ceiling, which is like straight, 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 straight. And then it goes off like this, fairly noticeably so. <clears throat> that when the joinery went in, it's like a constant sort of 20 mil high line between the top of the cupboard and the ceiling and then it just sort of tapers off to almost nothing at one point and you're looking at it going something's just not straight here and so we go to the builders like look you know this, this requires rectification this is not done right and what it what it ultimately boiled down to is they said they would do it effectively out of goodwill <laughs> and i'm like no no uh You'll do it, but it's not goodwill. You're fixing what you did wrong in the first place. That's not goodwill. <laughs> that is like literally delivering on what we've paid for. Uh, and I won't give the other examples because some of them are a little bit more contentious. But th this is the sort of thing that I just find ourselves dealing with day after day after day. Now, I imagine it differs from customer to customer too. But I'm a person who looks at a web page across my 5,000 pixel wide screens and I see one pixel that's wrong and it bugs the hell out of me. So I'm going to notice these little things and particularly when it's your own house and you live in it and you walk past it every day and once you see it, it's one of those things you can't unsee. So I just got to have a high expectation, which I think is reasonable about getting shit like that just right. Look at the comments here. Did you figure out the Bond movie from the island that you mentioned last week? Yeah, Man with the Golden Gun. So what I learned, so this is a question from Roland. Uh, there is, um, in this whole bay around Phuket in Thailand, there's all of these islands that just, <laughs> sounds kind of stupid, these islands come out of the water. <laughs> yeah, like every island. But uh, unlike that sandy beach and then some gentle hills and things, they're just like vertical rock, or in some cases, even like overhangs that just come out of the water like this, and it looks epic. And there is uh, a Roger Moore James Bond, Man with the Golden Gun, where there's, there's this scene in a beach in Thailand with these just amazing, uh, amazing islands. So that was in the area that we're in. We didn't see that island in particular. We did see uh, the island, uh, uh, which is called PP Island, which is where the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio was shot. But yeah, Man with the Golden Gun, they actually call it, it's got two names. One of the names is Bond Island. So, yeah, that was in the, in that area. 
Mike says it was me, by the way, that mentioned the man with the golden gun. Okay, yeah, there, there's the response. Maybe that's how I learned it. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I should read ahead. George, three hours late, most recent tradies I was waiting on, lost my whole morning that day. Yeah, and that's what it's felt like for me for uh, six months uh, because we have done so much. Like just off the top of my head, I mean, there's the entire kitchen got ripped out, redone. The entire garage got ripped out, redone. The uh, barbecue, we've got an external barbecue like a, a, an external kitchen being done. We've got a, a big sliding door that got built into the wall. We've got a new cabinetry and stuff built, all the tiling out the front, the driveways. The, like there's been a huge amount of time and money go into doing all of this and it has sapped my soul because part of it is me. I, I have such a high expectation of these things but also things like don't let the freaking ceiling slope down like that just to me seems seems really obvious. Um, so there's there's lots of defects to be sorted out. And, and look, some of them are reasonable. Stuff like this is going to happen. It's, it's plaster. It's not perfect. Uh, but then just lots and lots of little nitty-gritty things. I look into door handle yesterday and it's like, why does that door handle look like it's scraped on that bit? And should those handles actually be recessed into the door because they're just like little handles that you grab for a sliding door as opposed to sitting on, on front? So lots of detail stuff like that. Uh, we we are very close to the end of it. There's again lots of little things in the garage. I've had my um, my timeline. I've, I've got a, a Twitter thread on this uh, where I keep adding photos. So this week we had the inside of the garage door sprayed black. Sounds like a minor thing, but we're, we're sort of trying to make it what is ultimately a pretty dark room with then the yellow McLaren and then the the lights which light it all up. So it just sort of pops. Um, so that's actually starting to look really good. So by darkening everything else up and then getting the lighting right, that's great. We've got to get the electrician back <clears throat> probably for multiple days because, and I still have all these Shellys laying around on the on the desk, uh, we've got to get a lot more Shellys on things <clears throat> to add it into the home automation. Also, the, I mean, this green one here is a Shelly dimmer. So we've got to be able to get some lights uh, a little bit a little bit dimmer and just get that, that just that perfect kind of setting. So that is going to be an ongoing challenge. Um, <clears throat> Abe says, work from home has helped my health, eating better, more time for exercise. For the most part, it does for me as well. <laughs> Except for this year. I don't know why I keep coughing. I'm definitely not sick. Uh, <clears throat> the, the challenge here has been when you work from home and have tradespeople, I'm sure it's convenient in one way because you're always going to be around. But you are also, you constantly have people walking into your office interrupting you. And if it's not actually walking through the door, which many times will happen, like I'll leave that door shut and I'll come in here and try and work. But people come in and they'll ask questions or you'll hear things and you're like, gee, what was that? Or was like, oh, I wonder how things are going downstairs. So it has just been constant interruptions. And, and one of my big goals this this week, and or rather this this year, and this will lead into uh, one of the next things in the list here. I'm completely out of order anyway by now. One of my big goals has been to get this Have I Been Pwned Domain Search stuff really cooking, which has been a two-part job, which I started in January. I only finished the first part last month, which was the Domain Search dashboard. The big bit I'm working on at the moment is finding that spot at which domain searches start to have a financial cost. Uh, and, and that's 
that just requires not only a lot of thought about what is the right way to do this and the right numbers and how do I position it and make it easy for people and reasonable and fair and all this sort of stuff, but writing code uh, and code that needs to both charge people money and respect privacy of domain owners. <laughs> so it's not code that you want to screw up. And for those of you out there who write code, like you, you know what it's like, you've you, you got to get in your zone, right? You, you've got to find that flow and it can be someone doing something as simple as just opening the door and your flow's gone. And suddenly like hours that it took to get into the right frame of mind and to get moving, you just, just disappeared. Uh, and that is what it has felt like time and time and time again. I think I mentioned before as well, and I, I feel like I keep saying this, but I think this resonates with a lot of people. I find I get, my attention span can be very short as well, where I'll start doing something and I'll say, ooh, shiny thing over there. And suddenly I'm, I'm focused on something else and it will be, yeah, something to do with like Home Assistant, for example. Yeah, uh, even today, yeah, just before the webinar, Scott, so, oh, you know what I should do? These lights behind me, there's lights on the ceiling. You can just see the, like, the green Lambo Lego there lit up because there's lights on the ceiling. Those are often turning off whilst I'm in a webinar or something, if I sit too still, because there's a motion sensor up there. And if I'm still for like 10 minutes or something, it turns off. What I should do is if the key lights here are on, then that can be a condition on turning the lights off. So the lights there won't go off if these... And then suddenly I'll stop doing something that I had intended to do and I'm overriding YAML because I want to stop the lights from turning off. So I find my attention gets drawn in, in many, many different directions very easily. It's, tell me if this happens to you as well. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not just me. Uh, I don't know if it is something that could be clinically diagnosed and if it would be any use for me, even if it was. But yeah, I, I get distracted. Ben says, uh, I tend to keep falling sick, so my exercise has also been lacking. A bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it, Ben? Um, ben also says, this is why I started working from a list. Wayne says, attention, this happens to me also. I have a lot of lists. I, have, I think I actually have a list of lists somewhere. There's guidance in here about how to do lists of lists. Um, it's just so many things. It's and I, I kind of feel like I can juggle a lot at a point of time, at the same point in time. But we've all got a capacity at which you exceed, and then you, you're just beyond your ability to deal with it all. So I can do all the stuff to related to everything from the kids and travel and speaking events and the have I been pwned bits and all that. But it's just having added on all of the burden of the Renault stuff as well has uh, has just pushed me beyond that capacity quite a bit lately, if I'm completely honest. Uh, as Roland says, Home Assistant is something that eats time like crazy. Uh, it, it is, so is 3D printing. <laughs> I'll add that in there as well. But the thing is as well, and this is where my life becomes a bit of a blur, I, particularly working from home, it, it's so easy for you to begin at five when I get up in the morning and my last meeting formal thing yesterday finished at almost 7 p.m so there's 14 hours right there uh and then the weekend comes and you know maybe that will be time to catch up on that code at what time do you go and do something fun because to me the home assistant thing for the most part is something that i enjoy it's it's fun like the 3d printing but then i also actually quite enjoy writing code for have i been pwned and stuff like that 
so when when your leisure and your work have a very blurry line between them and you work from home you know at least when i worked for pfizer it's like the the one good thing about it was I'd go into the, well, I'd work from home a bit then as well. But, you know, you'd go into the office and that, that's work and then you'd come home and for the most part that's not work unless you VPN in and, and you move into that context. But, you know, I'm not getting work emails, for example, unless I'm VPNed in. Uh, that's now, like that, that line has just completely gone. Mike, no amount of money ever bought a second of time. That's bullshit. Private jets. Private jets by time. I've been told I've never had the experience. If I had a private jet, I'd have more time to work so I could afford the private jet. <laughs> but I think the the commodity of time is is a is an interesting concept. I find myself trying to like optimize it's like every minute. If I can optimize every minute and do more, then I can get more stuff done and then part of that will be leisure stuff as well. Um yeah. <laughs> Scott says, show us your Simpsons sculpture, Troy. I've been printing a lot of random shit lately. Um, no, no, I won't be showing that here. I've found 3D printing communities that just come up with, like, it's, it's hilarious, but just some absolutely stupid stuff. Um, no, I won't be showing that here. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Uh Mark says, next time assistant adventure here is RF blasters. Uh, yes. Yeah, that would actually be really handy. There, I can think of multiple things, and, and I don't know enough about this space, but I can think of multiple things that do run over RF that I'd love to be able to blast, particularly if I could replicate. Uh, I mean, this this is not a good example, and this is infrared, and it has, um, it has a good IoT integration. Anyway, this is my fan. Uh, but there are things like the curtains, which are running over RF, which I'd love to be able to to fix. And I'll, I won't go into the curtains in too much detail because I've spoken at much pain before about this. But we've got uh, we've got curtains that have electric motors, including the one here, including the one in the in the, the bedroom, and the remote control, beautiful, works first go every time, no problems. The IoT hub hubs because you need to have multiple ones because the range is absolute shit are so unreliable. So that they're, they're obviously not just broadcasting the same RF. I'd love to be able to do that. We've got some outdoor heaters RF. I'd love to be able to do those. Um, Mark, if you figure out how to do that and particularly how to handle uh, um, different devices which might have, I, th I think, rolling codes. I don't know what I'm talking about with RF. Please let me know. <laughs> I'd love to figure that out. One of my next home assistant projects is... Even though I replaced the SD card in my Raspberry Pi 4, which my HA has run on for the last three years, pretty reliably, it's still shutting down every now and then. So I have ordered a Home Assistant Yellow. It requires a CM4 Raspberry Pi, so compute module. Uh, the Home Assistant Yellow has not arrived. The CM4s are extraordinarily hard to get unless you pay <laughs> top dollar on on Amazon. So in Aussie dollars, I think I paid about $240 for a Compute Module 4, uh, which arrived to its credit very, very quickly the other day. It's a very small little, actually, that's a heatsink. It's a very, very small little thing. Look at that. It completely disappears in the hand. So that's your Compute Module 4. That will be the brains of the Home Assistant Yellow when it arrives. Um, it has not shipped yet, so I'm not sure when that'll come. 
But I'll also put an NVMe SSD card in that so I actually have some proper storage and not just an SD card. And hopefully that will get me more reliability with my Home Assistant instance. I hope it becomes a bit snappier as well. I'd like to see something beyond just it doesn't randomly shut down. <laughs> like that would be nice. I'll certainly have more storage. Wayne says you should have gone SSD with Pi 4. Uh, well, this will effectively be that. You know, it's a it's a CM4 with a, an SSD on the um, on the yellow board, uh, and it will have a built-in Zigbee as opposed to an external USB stick. I uh, ordered the PoE version. I do really like the idea of PoE insofar as it's very easy to force reboot it remotely when it stops responding because I can just toggle the power on that port on the Ubiquiti switch. Still a big lover of Ubiquiti things. Speaking of which, I've got to speak to my uh, my my Ubiquity fairy today. <laughs> That's what I call him. <laughs> the person who sends me lots of Ubiquity stuff. There's always new things in the pipeline, so we catch up uh, every now and then. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what's coming from there. For the most part, my Ubiquity stuff is actually really reliable at the moment, which is great. So uh, all of the access points are good. The switches are good. The... Um, the Dream Machine Pro is good. I still have the uh, in-wall, what do they call it? It's, it's literally sitting here. This one, which I've shown before. What do they call it? Dream Wall. Dream Wall, that was it. The Dream Wall sitting here, which I, I'm actually not sure that I'm even going to be able to use because I just don't know that it's going to fit into the design of the garage. But I'll, I'll speak to my Ubiquity Fairy about that today and see if we can find a way of doing it. I was going to spray paint it black if I did that, so it fit in really nice. That may happen. We'll see. George says, my yellow has been sitting in my cupboard unloved since last year. I'm too stubborn to overpay for a CM4. So, George, between you and I, I have a CM4, you have a yellow. Neither of us have a working home assistant instance that is yellow <laughs> at the moment, so... Anyway, mine apparently is, is on is on the way. It should be on the way soon. Uh, yeah, Scott says, power cycle on the switch port is mega. I did wonder if possibly it wasn't getting enough PoE power and maybe that was causing, let's call it a brownout uh, on the on the Pi. But it's plugged into a Ubiquiti switch. Uh, they, they sent me a 48-port PoE switch recently because I exhausted all of the PoE ports on my, I think, what was it before? It was a 32-port, but it only had like 16 ports of PoE. And by the time you had enough security cameras and access points, you run out of PoE pretty quickly. So, yeah. Um, yeah and as Scott says, no, nah, no way. Those ports can put out way more than the Pi needs. Um, so, Yeah. Mark says, I found turning on the new auto Wi-Fi settings on Ubiquity has improved things a lot. Um, okay, it's interesting. I have had a couple of Shellys drop off recently or become a bit unreliable. So I've got a, on my home assistant, on one of my dashboards, I've just got every Shelly listed with the native Shelly integration, which does communicate with it directly over HTTP. I've also got Shelly's talking MQTT so that I can message queue the whole thing. But the reason I have the native Shelly integration here is it's a good way of seeing if the Shelly is up and alive at this point or if it's dropping off. And for some reason, the ones that drive the light over the bath in the ensuite 
dropped off. I power cycled those at the switchboard, so literally killed the circuit yesterday, and it came back up for like five minutes and then disappeared. And there's a, a Shelly, oh, I forget what they call it, it's the one that's got the two circuits on it, um, in Charlotte's office that has just dropped off as well. So I've got to try power cycling that. But other than that, I've got, I think, 60-plus Shellys there at the moment, and they're all pretty reliable, which is good. I was having problems with them dropping off the Wi-Fi, uh, and we thought there was too much broadcast traffic, a few tweaks. And in fact, to be honest, most of the tweaks now have just been going to Ubiquity defaults, and all that seems to be working well. So that's pretty good. Okay, what else do we have here on the list? Hmm. Um, Cam fix. So this camera here, if you recall several weeks ago, in fact, I think the last video I did here before I went overseas, uh, I did from the garage because I was getting a lot of feedback every time I turned the camera on. Now the feedback was coming through this microphone down here. Now this microphone uses an XLR cable that goes into a DAC <coughs> and then it USB-Cs into the PC. This camera here out of the micro HDMI port then goes into a USB adapter, which is an Elgato cam link, uh, and then into the back of the PC. And the way I used to power it is it normally has, this is a Sony uh, A6400 camera. It used to, or by default when it ships, it has a battery, which goes into the battery compartment, you close the battery compartment, you can then charge it with an external USB cable. Now, I can't remember exactly why I did this, but when I bought the camera, I bought... Uh, an adapter which is the same shape battery but it's got a wired cable hanging off the bottom and then it goes into mains. For reasons unknown something changed several weeks ago such that every time I powered on the camera and it started drawing power through that cable I got feedback in the microphone. And what I discovered just yesterday while I was preparing for the uh, the webinar Scott today was that if I took that battery out and I just put the normal battery in and then I just plugged in a micro USB cable to keep it charged, the hiss goes away. So somehow that's creating some sort of a ground loop or something. I mean, I even went and got, there's a new microphone cable in here because I thought maybe that was the problem because when I put in a short microphone cable, the problem went away. And I, I still can't quite explain <laughs> why that is. But uh, the new microphone cable didn't fix it, but it's black instead of red, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> Looks nicer. It's one of those problems which is just enormously hard to troubleshoot. But if you're listening to this now, you're probably not hearing any background hiss, which is which is great. So maybe I'll just leave it like this and wire it a bit neater. George says, apparently you can get an all-in-one kit where they don't scalp on the CM4 now, but then I'd, I'd have a second yellow. Now, I checked like literally yesterday, George, as I have checked for geez, probably the last month or so on, and the yellows were not shipping with the CM4 because of worldwide shortage. And I, I think because the ones that are available are at a, at a inflated price, um, tax deduction. <laughs> So uh, I, I think they've not been shipping them because of that. That seems to be the explanation, I, I recall. So I, as far as I know, you cannot get, at least not via the official channels, a yellow with a CM4 in it. So Ben says, uh, nope, sounds good. Very good. Sound is good. <coughs> okay, so going back to, um, going back on track, the HLBP domain search, I want to speak a little bit more about that 
is I feel like I have had some breakthroughs since I got home, particularly around how to price it. And I don't want to talk about the exact numbers yet, but I'll give you a, a sense of, of the rationale I've applied. And, and often when I work this stuff out, it's a combination of just running you endless, endless SQL queries to try and figure out the spread of data and what the impact will be on people. And then I write that in a blog post. So I've already written a lot of the blog posts that will go live, hopefully the later this month or early August, uh, announcing the, the changes. And, and the reason I do this is when I find that when I write and I have to explain and articulate things clearly, I, I soon figure out whether it makes sense or not. <laughs> and then I go back and I reread it and I reread it. And if I do that about 20 times and it still seems sensible, then it's good to go. So the rationale I've tried to come to, keeping in mind that the, the background here being I'm finding domain searches are very computationally expensive, particularly as the data gets very large, especially after loading a large breach and a lot of people come and they start doing domain searches and infrastructure starts scaling and I pay for more instances and they're more egress bandwidth and all the rest of it. And then you have a look at the sorts of organizations that are doing domain searches and you're like, well... You're worth $100 billion. Why am I paying for your domain searches? This, this doesn't feel equitable. And I think I said in the last blog post, but, but it's something like more than half of the Fortune 500 are monitoring domains on Have I Been Pwned and then doing regular searches. And it's like super, super wealthy organizations that we're, we're sort of paying to support. And even if it's not a Fortune 500 and they're only worth a lot of millions of dollars, then maybe, maybe there should be a contribution uh, in order to use the service. So trying to figure out how do I find that sweet spot? At what point is it reasonable to actually charge some money? And then how much? And that the very sort of high level overview I have of this at the moment is I would like to try and make sure that more than half of the domains that are currently being searched on Have I Been Pwned remain in that free space. So I still feel quite adamant that the right way to segment and charge is based on the number of breached accounts in the domain because that's the most readily accessible metric of how large the domain is, which is the easiest way for me to associate some sort of size and value to the thing. So it's literally sort of a matter of going, let's take at least the halfway point in terms of domain size that are actually being monitored, keep that bit completely free. And then you're left with a sub 50% mark the feeling at the moment is to divide that down into four roughly equal groups. And it'll be like, you know, small, medium, large, unlimited is the thinking at the moment. And then if you're in that small category, make it a cost which is equivalent to a cup of coffee a month. Now, that was the logic for the pricing of the public API key. Uh, and in all honesty, I'm quite sure I've never had anyone say that the public API key, which is $3.50 at the moment, uh, is too much. It's $3.50. Um, I do get a lot of requests from people asking for free keys, and I have an FAQ on that. And it used to just say no. And then I was like, all right, it should be, I should be nicer about it and explain why it's all tied into an automated pipeline that rotates keys based on Stripe payments and everything. And it's, it's $3.50. If you don't want to spend $3.50, it's, you know, it's probably not for you. So something less than half will have some sort of financial charge. The smallest one, the entry-level one, will be somewhere in the order of that cup of coffee per month. So what you're going to be left with is 
in order for something to cost more than a cup of coffee per month, you're going to have to be getting into larger domain sizes. And that's the broad idea of it at the moment. Now, there are going to be problems with this. <laughs> and I'll, in fact, I dropped this, uh, anonymized it, but in my draft blog post, I'm going to read you the, the email I got yesterday. So I get a lot of emails, a lot of support tickets and things like this. I know where the problem is going to be. If you're in a large enterprise and you've had to buy something before, the prices are relevant. It can be really, really, really cheap. And you have a procurement department. On a scale of one to 10, one being not very painful at all, 10 being really painful, where does it sit? Because for most people, it's gonna be like up there towards a 10. And I, I say this, having spent 14 years in Pfizer with the procurement department, and the pain we had to go through to spend even very small amounts of money was nuts. It's not about the money. It wouldn't matter if it was $1 or $100. The pain would be the same, which is kind of crazy because the ROI completely goes out the window for the smaller stuff. Right, so this person just yesterday, this is for the existing public API key. They say, my company is looking to purchase an API key so we can automate user lookups on your site. Good idea. Our procurement process is wildly complex. And I was wondering if we have the option of submitting a purchase order instead of using the Stripe credit card payment method. No. And at, I mean, the, the whole idea of this is to be turnkey. Like you go there, you use Stripe. You don't have to put in a credit card either. Stripe allows you to do Apple Pay, Google Pay. It allows Afterpay in Australia. It allows, uh, I don't think I have the Alipay option in China, but there's a WePay option using WeChat in China. There's lots of different ways that you can pay. It's not just credit card. Big corporations don't care about that though, because they've got one way they do things. <laughs> in this case, they wanted a purchase order. Now, we're just simply not going to do that. Uh, we often get requests to fill out Taxation documents. No, we're not going to. It's like, can you imagine going online, trying to buy some commoditized service, and then saying, could you now please go and spend all this time filling out our material? Now, in, in many cases, we're talking about $3.50. What is your time worth? How quickly do you burn $3.50? Now, for most of us here, that is back of the couch kind of money. If one day you lost $3.50 down the back of the couch, you don't sort of go, wow, man, where's that money gone? Jeez, I'm stressing about that. Where did the, how do I find the money? You know, do I start pulling everything apart? It's, it's such a, it, it's just that sweet spot of, of negligible money. But we get requests like this in order to spend that. So, <clears throat> It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for us to be filling out forms, taxation forms. Uh, we often get requests to fill out things like vendor assessment forms. Now imagine this, is vendor assessment forms, which will include things like, uh, please detail the physical access controls to the premises where the service runs. Well, first of all, it runs in the cloud. So it's probably a question for Microsoft and Cloudflare. Um, Please detail the process for disposing of mobile devices once they reach end of life so that we can spend $3.50. So th this is going to be the challenge. And 
my my genuine fear, and it's it's probably less my problem and more maybe your problem, is that there will be lots of organisations that can do searches at the moment because there is no financial overhead and there's no procurement process, who later on will not be able to do searches because they will have unreasonable demands. And that is the only way of putting it, is an unreasonable demand to say, in order for us to spend you know, a cup of coffee a month, we want you to jump through all these hoops. <laughs> Look at the responses here. Um, so this is on the, on the sort of the one to 10 scale, with 10 being the worst or, or the most laborious, painful thing in terms of end of processes and one being the lowest. Mark says a 20. Uh, Gordon says a 15. George has given a good – so I saw George start with three, and I was like, why is it only three? But George says three quotes, <laughs> please, because a lot of procurement departments want you to go and get multiple quotes from different places. Quotes is another good example where often we get a request for a quote. Now, when we get a request for a quote, I know what they mean. They want something addressed to them, listing the prices in a formal fashion. But because I don't have a lot of patience for that shit, I normally go back and I say, sure, www. Here's the list of the prices. And I go, no, 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 we need a quote. And I'll go, yeah, but all the prices are there. Oh, yeah, but we want you to actually prepare a quote. So what we end up doing is we said, look, for, uh, for public API keys, uh, the two highest tiers will give you a quote for. So if you're going to spend, <laughs> we will invest the time to give you a quote. And that seems to have weeded a lot of people out, which is good. Uh, ben says, depends if we say it's for compliance or security rubber stamp. And I mean, this. It, every organization is different. Uh, even as it relates to, the, uh, and I won't get into the weeds on this one, but there's, there's an organization I've, I've been having some discussions with who has taken a privacy view which is inconsistent with every single other organization we work with, but they are convinced their lawyers say that this is the truth and this is what our privacy legislation says we need to do. And it is, it is nonsensical, but that is their organizational view. And I mean, there's no point arguing about it. If that's the position they want to take, then you know, so be it. Um, what else we got in here? Scott says, all the time, report your RI. Glad it's not just me. You know, same sorts of problems here. Vendor assessment equals enterprise plan. And this is what we ultimately do. We say, look, we do have an enterprise channel. I've written about it before. Uh, organizations can come along and spend a lot more money in order to do enterprise things, which means arguing about details in the contract. And we go backwards and forwards, often for weeks, to try and agree on terms. It means filling out vendor assessment forms. It means giving them tax forms. It means invoicing out of the system with agreed payment terms. It means all of this extra work, which has to have an ROI, because whilst Charlotte and I are doing that, we're not here either building more have I been pwned stuff or arguing with tradies about the kitchen. <laughs> it seems to consume a lot of time. Um, as Scott says, the price is listed on the website. Why do you need a quote? We have talked about uh, possibly auto-generating quotes, where it's like you just put in your address and it just takes what's on the website and it turns it into a quote, which is kind of kind of nuts. Mike says, so to my earlier point, no amount of money ever bought a second of time. <laughs> You're going to keep beating that drum, aren't you, mate? Um, I, I think p perhaps a bit more pragmatically is that uh, 
the right amount of money will buy the right amount of time. And, you know, then in, let's say in, in the case of going from what might be a $3.50 a month need in terms of a key through to spending significantly many times more than that because you want a vendor assessment form filled out, that's, uh, and even then it's like, it's, it's not really the contents of the form that seems to be important to them. It's the fact that you have filled out the form because most of our answers aren't very good. My answer for things like how do you dispose of devices at the end of life is factory reset, give to the kids. <laughs> so there's some procurement officer sitting there, some vendor management person, that must be a lifeless job, mustn't it? who's going through like assessing big enterprises and then there's this Aussie website with the funny name and the guy that runs that is just handing his mobile devices down to his kids. Like that's a shit answer, but it is an answer and it ticks the box. Vendor assessment done, risk accepted. So, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but, yeah, that is the challenge that we have. So uh, where do I get to here? Domain searches. So that's that's pretty much where the thinking is at the moment. I want to really want to wrap that up by preferably the end of this month, but <coughs> this is obviously very tradey and renovation dependent. I want to make sure that when we get to the end of the month or when we get to whenever we launch this, that it is fully baked and it's, it's tested sufficiently. And there, there's certainly this thing going around in my head about where's the minimum viable product. And I often find, <clears throat> often find I get into this um, this cycle of inertia that I can only break by just sitting down and, and getting started, even with the smallest thing. Like, you know, like the blog post. Uh, just yesterday, I, uh, I I created the branch tracks to begin creating the new bits of code for this. And I, I, to be honest, I don't know what it's going to look like at the end. But I thought, look, if I get down and I start writing code and I start putting things out there then that's, that's fine. That's a start. Uh, and I'm not quite sure exactly how it will end up. One of the things that, that just from a more technical standpoint is starting to make my brain go round and round a bit is we've already got a paradigm of buying API keys to do the, the individual email address search. There's already Stripe integration. <coughs> there's Stripe customers. There's, <coughs> there's a dashboard. There are API keys. And there's now going to be this new paradigm, which is using Stripe to buy access to domain searches for which you can also get an API key to do domain searches. I've, I've said before, one of the new things that we want to add as part of the domain search uh, changes is API level access. So how do these two paradigms coexist? I don't want to have the same customer there twice in Stripe. I don't want the same customer to have to have two different API keys, one to do email address searches, one to do domain searches, because there will be organizations that want to do both. I don't really want to end up with two completely different dashboards, but the entire implementation at the moment is built around Stripe is there to buy an API key to search email addresses. So now it's got to sort of morph into Stripe is there to buy either API keys or domain access searches. If you're doing the domain search, you might also have an API key. Uh, I feel like there's, a, there's going to be some underlying technical debt where maybe I just need to take the existing API constructs and say, well, look, this is actually just for purchasing stuff on Have I Been Pwned? And then, and then it could be either of these things. But then that ties into 
how do we do things like key rotation? How do we do key expiration? So if you've bought an API key, at the moment, if you don't pay your Stripe bill or you cancel a subscription, then the key dies. But now you maybe you don't pay the individual email address search, but you do pay the domain search. Unless I tie them all in together. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Hmm. I'm basically making it up as I go, but so far that's worked well for the last decade. <laughs> so we'll see what we actually end up with. Wumpus says, how long will that take, though? How long will it take? Oh, he says, have you seen the odd thing on the hosting of Breached? Have you seen the odd things on the hosting of Breached? Uh, nope. Maybe you can expand on that. I'm quite interested now about what you mean by that. Um, ben says, third third tier, the, does both. Not sure where, where you're going with that. Ben, maybe you can uh, you can work on that. Uh Brandon says, just create a subscription that ties it all together and call it Pwned Wand. <laughs> Trademark. That's <laughs> The number of times I have a penny drop moment by explaining something to someone else is amazing. Uh, I, I had a something I'd implemented recently, which, which I'd created a bug in, and I didn't realize I created a bug in. And I sat down and I explained something quite technical to Charlotte. And as I was explaining it, it's like, da 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 and it's like, Oh shit! <laughs> like I realised as I was talking through it. So these these videos are quite good for them. Maybe we should do this each week actually until we actually finalise them and push code uh, to talk through the thinking. Yeah, maybe we do just tie that all into one. Um, Stephen, morning, Troy. Just realised I missed yours and Scott Helms' talk tonight. It's recorded. You'll have access to it. Uh, so uh, stay tuned to Scott, and I'll, I'll uh, retweet that when he puts it out as well. Last thing this week, MVP 13. So I, I did touch on this very briefly last week, but I've actually put the blog post out yesterday. Uh, I did get my 13th MVP award this week, which is great. A uh, little moment of anxiety there because um, <laughs> I'd sort of forgotten about it. I, I used to always be I'd get it on the 1st of April, which is always entertaining. Uh, and then they changed it so I was on a, a cadence, which was the 1st of July. And then this year, there's some things that just pushed it back a little bit time-wise. So we were in Thailand the other day and I've, I've sort of gotten up and I'm flicking through my socials and I'm like, wow, so a lot of friends of mine talking about their uh, their MVP renewal. That's quite exciting. Uh, and then I saw a friend of mine who didn't get renewed and they talked about that. And I'm going through my email. It's like, where's my email, man? It's like, no email, no email. And I ended up reaching out to Microsoft and going, hey, um, did, did, I, did I miss something? Is there anything that you want to tell? I, th I think I've had a good year. And it went to my old email address, uh, one that I just don't check. And for some reason, that updated the system and it went back to my old one and all the comms went there. So uh, fortunately, I did find the email. I did get renewed. Uh, I'm still there in developer technologies. Back 12 years ago, when I got my first one, it was developer security, but Microsoft has redefined some of the... It really doesn't make a lot of difference. Redefine the categories. Uh and now I have it in developer technologies. So happy days for that. I, I think many of you know, and, and Scott here somehow is an MVP as well. It's Microsoft stuff. <laughs> Sorry, mate. But as many of you know, like, we don't work for Microsoft. They don't give us any money, but you do get access to a bunch of, uh, of a purely monetary nature. You do get access to a bunch of licenses. You get access to some Azure credits. Uh, probably more valuable, you get access to uh, a lot of different people in Microsoft and much close relationships to teams there, 
We get NDA'd up to Wazoo, so we see a lot of uh, early release stuff, which is kind of cool. And it, it is a nice recognition. Uh, when I put out the blog post last night about the MVP, I put the, the tweet where I showed the, um, the FBI bits that I got the other day, which uh, is still here on my desk. In fact, this, this one, as we'd say in Australia, is definitely going straight to the pool room. <laughs> the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation expresses its appreciation of Troy Hunt for exceptional service in the public interest. That is uh, an extraordinarily cool certificate. And I think I'm going to put that up there on the wall next to my invitation to Congress, which is the other one that I framed. So stuff like this is, it, it has no monetary value. It doesn't probably mean anything to anyone other than the people that actually get it. But it's it's just very, very cool to, to see someone appreciate the things that you do. Uh, Wampus says, you'll DM me on Keybase later. But have you seen the razor breach? Uh, yeah, look, DM me, mate. I'd, I'd be interested in that. Uh, now, both Mike and Scott have said that I am a minimum viable Actually, Scott said I'm a minimum viable person. Thanks, mate. That's you too. Mike says I'm a minimum viable producer. Wood. Gordon says they now give it to us after July 4th because I think it was three years ago. It was stressful for them. Before July 4th, I had the same stress going to my wrong selected email this year. That The thing to remember, though, Gordon, is that at some point in time, I assume I'll stop being one for one reason or another. Uh, they do send you an email to tell you that you are not one anymore. So complete radio silence just leaves you wondering <laughs> either way, which is what was happening before you got it anyway. Uh, interesting, the July 4th thing, very American, isn't it? It's like we have a holiday each year in one part of the world where – 94% of the world don't live. <laughs> so we're going to do everything on our schedule. Um, Gordon, never seen that version. Totally going to steal that for talks. Minimum viable person. Give yourself some credit, guys. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing to have. I remember before I got it, uh, and it was a much, much simpler time in my life in so many ways, it was, I always sort of revered it. You know, like that would be, if ever I got that, would be so amazing. I didn't actually think I'd ever get it. So here we are. Okay, folks, I think I've pretty much worked through that uh, that schedule of things I had there. Uh, today is going to be probably domain. Focus on the domain searches. Get that right. Uh, I think go and uh, go and fix some more IoT things. I, I believe we have a day without tradespeople here, which is uh, rather a special occasion. So I might go and enjoy the peace and quiet. Thank you for watching. I'll still be here next week. I'm going to get back onto the normal cadence now that we're outside of school holidays and travels and things of doing one in the morning and then one at the other end of the day. So when I do this Friday next week, I will do this uh, probably about 10 hours later, maybe nine hours later than what I did today. Uh, thank you very much, and I hope I'll see you all next week. Cheers, folks. Now, where's that mouse? <laughs>